Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, everybody. Welcome to JPD Weekly. So as I've uh, said on my other channel, Sharpening Report, the reason why the background is the way that it is, is I recently had Gary Stearman uh, over for uh, over to my place for an interview for a future project that's really exciting and I will have to tell you about later. Um, and uh, yeah, but that that's why this is set up like this. Interview went great, by the way. Um, Gary is awesome. Love him to death. Uh, he had a, a lot of really interesting things to say, and I'm excited uh, for that. So that that's going to be a future project to be released later this year. Um, and I have not had a chance to set back up my set. So uh, we'll do that later. But right now, I wanted to kind of take a little bit of a break from Dead Sea Scrolls stuff, even though it is really interesting and there's a lot of cool stuff with it. Um, but I, I'm not, you know, the, the JPD Weekly is not just a Dead Sea Scrolls show. Um, so I wanted to talk about something, uh, else and, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll do that. I try to, try to keep it lively enough to, so we're not just talking about the same thing every day. Today I wanted to talk about our future, our future glorified bodies. When we, when we get that, what the resurrection is all about. Um, uh, we might even have some time to get into spirit doubles. You know, there's this weird Bible verse that, uh, where, you know, so, so, someone said like, oh, that's, that's not him. That's, that's his, that's his angel. And there was this belief that, Everybody was like assigned an angel that looked just like them. Uh, and so maybe we'll have time to talk about that. But there, there's a lot of stuff with just heavenly bodies, spiritual bodies. And um, some of the information that we're going to talk about today comes from uh, the book that I wrote with Donna Howell and Allie Anderson Henson called Afterlife. So if you want, you can check out that book. But um, I, wrote, I wrote a chapter about like what our future bodies would be. And, you know, of course, there's a lot of... Uh, a lot of books about heaven, a lot of books about the resurrected bodies of people who have given their lives to Christ and um, how uh, you know, given their lives in their physical bodies, how they'll receive resurrected bodies. But there's there's very few books in mainstream Christianity that clearly identify the need for this body and why we and, and how we can understand the attributes that this body will need in order to fulfill the promises of God, you know, we, we tend to think, well, yeah, we need it because it's a heavenly body and we're going to be in heaven and then we, we leave it there. But there, there's, there's a real need for embodiment that we, we as Christians don't really talk about or even really know to talk about. And that, that, that's what has to do with the resurrection. And there's some really cool things with that. I wanted to talk about that. So some things are obviously clearly laid out in the scripture. Some require some thought. And there are uh, some easy things that are talked about in most Christian books on the topic. So, for example, if the resurrection of Jesus is an example of what we can expect, we know our glorified bodies are going to be able to walk through walls. We'll have some kind of structure like bones. We'll be able to eat. Uh, we'll, we, can, we can apparently fly, like Acts 1-9 says. We'll all be immortal. 
But these, these things are just on the surface, and I wanted to, I wanted to probe a little bit deeper uh, and, and see what else we can learn. The true purpose for and attributes of our resurrected bodies, uh, it's far more, far more glorious than we could ever imagine, but it's almost really never discussed in mainstream Christianity. A lot of times you just get the surface level stuff, which is fine. Uh, I'm not criticizing anybody. I, I think just most people don't know, and, and in a lot of ways I don't know either. I mean, there there's a lot here that I haven't fully wrapped my head around, but it's still a good place to, to start. I believe that this uh, topic can get very deep and complex, so I'm gonna, I'll am gonna i try to break it down simply, but just a warning, it can get very deep and very complex. Um, and while it's impossible to avoid, I'll try my best to explain the complexities uh, throughout this video. And I'll also attempt to explain the same concepts using different examples and methods because that can, you know, that can help. It can be kind of difficult to understand these things. I mean, we're talking about a literal extra dimensional reality here and extra dimensional bodies. So that can be difficult. Now, much can be said and indeed much has been written on what the Bible says about the resurrection and our glorified bodies. And, uh, you know, any, any book or video addressing the afterlife from a Christian perspective uh, will we'll not be able to ignore those topics. But instead of rehashing the common things that have already been talked about that you guys already know, because I don't want to insult your intelligence, you know, the surface level things, I want to focus on some lesser known aspects of eternity, resurrection, and our future glorified bodies. So the Christian doctrine of uh, resurrection has obviously received a lot of attention from philosophers. And we Christians believe the resurrection of Jesus serves as a model of what we can expect if we have submitted to Jesus and become born-again believers. We believe that people who reject Jesus, they'll be resurrected as well, but it will be for judgment rather than reward. So in Acts uh, 24.15b, Paul says that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. Everyone gets a resurrection, but uh, you know some to uh, judgment, some to reward. Now, there's a lot of weird philosophy around this. Materialist and immaterialist philosophers have been debating resurrection for quite some time. There are some good aspects of philosophy, and then there are some ridiculous aspects of philosophy that don't really help. Uh, so in what's been called the Simulacra model, Peter Van Inwagen, Inwagen attempts to present a model of resurrection that's compatible with materials and the, the Christian doctrine of resurrection. So the problem for the materialist who's trying to defend a, res a resurrection as described by Christianity is that the body, and you would think, why would they want to do that? It's because there's some silly parts of philosophy, but, um, but, but some materialists do try to do this. And the problem is that the body begins to break down and become destroyed by natural processes after death. So Van Ingwen's in, in wagons solution is to propose a model of resurrection in which our physical bodies do not decay, but instead are replaced with a copy called a simulacrum. So he, sta he states, quote, At the moment of each man's death, God removes his corpse and replaces it with a simulacrum, which is what is burn or, burned or rots. Uh, and then at, at the time of resurrection, God will take the preserved corpse and restore it to life. There's obvious problems with that. And the only reason that I bring it up, it's not to suggest that we accept that as a Christian doctrine, because clearly it's not. But this is what philosophers will do. 
They won't, uh, well, some of them. They won't just take the plain reading of the scripture, but they'll try to like work into, into this weird, this is just the kind of weird stuff that some of them do. And I like, I like philosophy, but a lot of it, a lot of it is garbage. There's some really good stuff, but a lot of it is weird stuff like this. Obvious problems with this, even for materialists. Um, Van Inguin uh, even admits this in an article that there's no reason for God to replace a corpse with a simulacrum. Um, God could just as well remove and preserve our corpses and not replace it with anything at all. Uh, so he attempts to give an answer by saying if God did not replace corpses with simulacra, then uh, there would be a widespread and irrefutable proof of the existence of the supernatural. Why that would be a problem in philosophy, it's it's only because they observe that, that at least they think that's not the case, so they have to make answers for it. So, see, this is when you get like these weird thought processes without the spiritual, spirituality to support it. It's, it's odd. Um, so Van Inwigen even admits this in a postscript to the original article. He says, quote, I am inclined now to think of the description that I gave in the possibility of resurrection, of how an omnipotent being could accomplish the resurrection of the dead as a just-so story. Although it serves to establish a possibility, it probably isn't true, end quote. He's not saying the resurrection isn't true, though I'm sure he doesn't believe in it. He's saying that his version of how it would work is not true because, again, he's trying to cram a supernatural event into materialist uh, a materialist frame of mind. And, and that's what a lot of these philosophers do. But, but when you actually read his stuff, it sounds smart. And that, but that, that's how philosophy is. They'll sound smart. They'll sound convincing. But when you really look at the substance of what they're saying, a lot of it is just silly. So, of the immaterialist views on resurrection, uh, Augustine and Aquinas, uh, they're probably among the most popular. So Augustine was an early adopter of a form of dualism inspired by Plato and Descartes, which stated uh, that the body and soul are separate substances. The soul is immaterial. The soul is identical or strongly connected to the mind. So Augustine added to this that the soul is immortal. He argued that the soul must be immortal because it desires perfect happiness and no happiness would be perfect if one feared losing it at death. Yeah, I, I, you know, Aquinas held uh, the view that people are a substance that is a blend of both matter and form. So the substantial form is the rational soul. This is called uh, the hylomorphic view. Um, there was a debate between people who held that view about whether or not the soul could survive death, and if it could, whether or not this would ensure a personal resurrection. So Aquinas argued that the human mind-slash-soul can exist apart from the physical body. The mind-slash-soul doesn't depend on the physical body for existence. Therefore, instead of just ceasing to exist at physical death, when the soul becomes disembodied, it would come to know the world in a different way. So that, that's interesting in light of um, things like NDEs, and especially some of the near-death experiences where people describe, without knowledge of quantum physics, they describe an extra-dimensional reality exactly as it would be. Um and that, to me, I wrote about that in Afterlife. That, to me, was really convincing. But Aquinas also argued that we can expect a personal resurrection. So this shows that even in ancient times, philosophers, theologians, and religious thinker, thinkers understood the importance of a resurrection. Um, but why do we need a resurrection at all? We know that God promises it'll happen in the Bible, but if our soul can detach from our physical body and live on with God, why do we have to have... Um, a, a resurrection and glorification of the physical body. I mean, it's nice, 
But, you know, presumably there are people dead and in heaven right now and the resurrection hasn't happened yet. So they, they exist without a physical body and it seems, I, I can't imagine that they're miserable there, right? So so why do we need it? And, and those those are good questions with, I think, some complicated answers. But the key to the need for resurrection is understanding the need of the spirit for embodiment. Um, in short, I think what it means is we need a filter, some kind of filter between us and God, because if we don't have that, we can never relate to God because he is infinite and eternal and we are created. And so without that filter, I mean, it's kind of like if, if you're, if you do anything with computers, you know how if you get the wrong USB, you know, you, you have like a USB-C port in your Mac, but you have a USB-C 3 uh, cord, then you need a, you need a dongle, right? So the, the dongle is like the body. The, do, the dongle is like the, the, the filter. There needs to be some filter. Otherwise, it's like because we're created and because we are less than God and always will be, you know, um, even in order for God to bring us into eternity with him and for us to even understand what's going on, you know, we need some kind of we need some kind of intermediary like um thing that can function. Now that doesn't mean that people who are souls in heaven right now aren't with God. They they are with God, but there's there's a type of embodiment because even the even the soul is an embodiment for the spirit, right? Um and I'm sure the spirit, you know, I, I don't think that there's just points of consciousness flying around heaven. There is some kind of form. Um but I think the resurrection provides a a better form or a form that we were always meant to be because we were always meant to be a certain kind of thing that was called human before the fall. Now human has been the the word human. I mean it's like a different thing. You know, it's it's fallen, it's sinful, it's uh destined for death, but it wasn't supposed to be like that. So it is a regeneration to what we were always supposed to be, but what were we always supposed to be? We were always separate than the angels. So we weren't merely supposed to be spiritual beings, but we always have had a spiritual component to us. So so that's interesting to think about. Um so that that's part of why we need we need this embodiment. So there, there might be some other ways to look at this. Uh, there's something interesting to think about that'll lay kind of the framework of this chapter. So every time God interacts with a, every time God interacts with uh, a man or an angel, God is embodied to some degree, d degree, isn't he? I mean, he comes and looks like a man, or or he, he's, there, there's like the whole angel of the Lord thing, the pre-incarnate Jesus. Um, there, there's some type of embodiment and it even says that if you were to look at God, uh, th then you would, you would, you would die. You know, there needs to be, he needs to be embodied for sinful man to be able to even relate to him without our minds just blowing. I, I don't know how that would look, but you know, but if, if we were to see God face to face, uh, we would die if he wasn't filtered in a way, if he wasn't embodied or, or in, in a way that we can relate to, um, so God is never described as some disembodied essence in these scenarios where uh, a person is is like with God or face to face with God. When he when he interacts with men or angels, he speaks, right? That that's like an embodiment thing. He speaks. So why is this? Now it's actually possible that any kind of communication with God is impossible. Now, I know that's worded a little weird, but it's possible 
that any kind of communication with God is impossible unless it is done through some type of embodiment, through some type of filtering agent kind of thing. And I think that's what embodiment is. So th think about what God actually is. Um, is he a physical form as Jesus Christ on earth? Yes, though not entirely. Is God his heavenly embodiment as the king on the throne? Yes, though again, not entirely. Is God truly his holy essence in whatever that means for him in his own subjective sense? Yes. Now that, that is entirely. Um, this is because God's own like subjective sense of himself is the ultimate objective reality. So, so think about this. You know how like nobody knows you but you? Like nobody has ever been in your head, in your body, walked your shoes. Nobody has experienced life through your eyes, had your feelings. Uh, you know, that, that is completely unique to only you. And you actually can't prove that everybody's life experience is even like that. It looks like it is, and it probably is, but we can't prove that. I mean, it's like, I can't prove that what I see and call the color red is the same thing you see and call the color red. Maybe what you call red is actually my blue, but there's no way to know because you can't really describe a color except for just the thing that it's called and what things are that color, you know, but to you, if strawberries are actually blue and you just call them red and you think that's what red is, you know, I, you know what I mean? It's like you, you can't teach a blind person what a color is. Okay. So there is a level of truth that you personally have about yourself that no one else, except for God, but no one else can have. Um, no one else can have that. Okay, now imagine that, but with God. <laughs> no one, literally no created thing, uh, can like experience existence through God's eyes or, or through his being or essence. Like nobody, that, that is flat out impossible. Nothing, no created thing. Everything is created in a sense separate from himself. Um, and when I say God, I'm including the whole Trinity. So it's God, the Father, the Son, Holy Spirit. Um, no, nobody can experience any, anything in the way that God does through his own subjective sense of himself, right? So because of that, because of that, that is the ultimate objective truth. And, and I know that's kind of confusing and it's really trippy to think about, but, but think about like, okay, here, here, and don't do this in like a blasphemous way or anything, but, but here's like a thought exercise. Just do it in a very respectful way. But like, like, what would it be like to be God, right? What, what would that be like to sit on the throne? And, and then you start, you start realizing, okay, God is sitting on the throne. He, he's, on, he's on the throne. He's looking through, I mean, probably not through eyes like we are, but, but he's seeing and experiencing. He's thinking he has feelings. And like, what would that be like? And when, when you start thinking about it too much, it starts getting real trippy because um, you start to realize that that is the ultimate truth. There is no, there is really no truth beyond that. And I think everything else is just an expression of that. Um, but that subjective sense that God has of, of, him, of himself, there's, there's nothing more true than that, much in the same way that you know yourself in a way that no one else can. You know, people can get a sense of you, 
even your own wife or your own husband. They can get a sense of you, but they're never going to be able to live life like in your body, through your eyes, with your brain, with your spirit. That is strictly only for you and nobody else. And God, I believe, gave us that as an example that points back to him because that's how he is. So imagine no one ever, no created thing, no one save for God himself is ever going to have that type of subjective experience of being God. Um, again, I told you these were going to be big, <laughs> big complex ideas that we're going to be dealing with here. Uh, but if you start thinking about that for too long, it's like, oh man, that, that, that's huge. Um, so God's own subjective sense of himself is the ultimate reality. Because everything that we see is filtered in some way. You know, the only reason that I'm seeing um, like, like the, the, the green light of the camera, it's because photons are, are firing at my eyes and my eyes is processing the data of, of those photons and interpreting it for me in my brain. And then that's the picture that, that, that I have. It's, but that's not really what, what it is. That's not really it. Um, even in our glorified bodies, we'll be able to see things as they are but not in the way that God sees things. You know, we're, we're never going to get that. So God's own sub... And even if we could see the outside world as God sees it, we can never know his own sub... We can't see how he sees himself. Like, how, we can know facts about it. Like, he, he obviously seems, sees himself as good and righteous, and he knows, his, you know, we know the attributes, but we can't imagine, like, what his personal experience is uh is like we 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 can't imagine that so so that that is like the ultimate truth that is purely defined by God and only God and and we we can never really know that we we get glimpses of it because we have our own personal experiences uh but we can never really know that so no one can truly know that purely objective truth but God himself because he's the one he is the one, and there are there's no none others like him. He is the only one. So that means all of creation, from the highest angel to the lowliest worm, can only interact with God through a type of means that, in a sense, filters his own subjective, objective nature in a way that we can understand. Because there there is that ultimate high truth of his own subjective self that no one else can know. No one else. No one else can attain. You can't attain that. Like you can't. You can't even. You can't even really think about it for too long. You, you can't. You can't imagine it. You can't wrestle with it. It's it's something that is God's and only God's, but it is also the ultimate truth. So everything that every kind of interaction that we're going to have with God has to be filtered in some way that we can understand. It doesn't mean that it's less true. It's still absolutely true, but it's filtered in a way that we can understand. Just like a USB C three is not going to fit, or a USB C is not going to fit in a USB three. You know, cord, they're not going to fit, but if you get that dongle, they fit fine. But those two cords on their own are never going to fit, right? Never going to fit. Now, that doesn't mean that the dongle is, like, any less true. It, it's it's real. It's helpful. It's there. It, it, it still brings the information from the computer to the hard drive. You know, it still brings the information. Um, you know, in this analogy, God would be the computer. We would be the hard drive, it, uh, the external hard drive. It, it filters it, fil but it filters it through that dongle. The information doesn't change. The truth is still the same. So all of the promises of God, all the things that God says are still exactly as true as they are to him. 
uh, they're still true, but they're filtered in a way that we can understand. So it doesn't it doesn't diminish the truth that he offers to us at all. It doesn't lessen it. It just puts it in a format that we can understand. We can never understand the original format. The original format is however he thinks of it in his own mind, which again, you start thinking about that for too long and, and it's, it's, it's like too much, <laughs> but, um, but included in that, in that, that filtering system thing, that that's what I think embodiment is. That's why it's required. That's why we need a body. This, this is also why God is typically understood as a trinity, I think, because God decided to create man, meaning God had a desire that was fulfilled in his creation of us, meaning that included with what, you know, with, with that would have been uh, a way for him to interact and have a relationship with us. Um, so it included in God's desire to create man and, 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 uh, to have a way for him to uh, to to interact with us, that would be included in his desire to create man. You know, so I'm I'm trying to like lay a path here, and it's it's difficult. But so God wants to create man, right? He's got to have a way to communicate. the The Trinity is absolutely necessary because you need Jesus to to be able to communicate with man. But Jesus was never created, right? J Jesus is God. Jesus always was. So embedded in the very nature of God is 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 uh the 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 creation of man, the 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 desire for it in exactly the way that it happened. And and what's what's really what's really trippy about this there there are things that we read online, there are things that we read that like the name of God is like, you know, behold the eye or behold the hand or behold the nail or something like that. It's, it's something about, it's something about like you, you see the picture of the crucifixion in God's name, but, but God's name is eternal. He's always had that name. He's had that name before, before man was even created, but he still had that name. It's embedded in his very nature. It, it's, it's who he is. It's, it's, it's what, what, yet there is no like, when you think about it, you're you're almost tempted to say it's what he was destined to do, but that's not correct because there is no destiny or there is no drive higher than God himself. So he wanted to do it. That's more accurate, but it's embedded in his very nature, yet that, that very nature was never created by anything higher than himself. It is him. So in just the structure of the Trinity, which was never created... But in that structure is the desire for man and is the, the the means of communication with man so that we can, you know, we can actually have fellowship with him. Because without Jesus, you can't, you can't really relate to God. And, and even in the Old Testament, when God would, tr would relate to man, he, he, God would have to embody himself in some way. And then, and then a lot of times man didn't even get it. Uh, you know, it didn't get a lot of things. I mean, even today, even with Jesus, there's a lot of things we don't know. A lot, a lot of that is our own, our own fallen nature. But, but still, that's that's why embodiment was is so important, and why God is typically understood as a Trinity. Why why He needs to be a Trinity for any of this to make any sense. But nothing created the Trinity. That's just what He is. Um, so the Trinity is absolutely necessary. 
And it also shows, like, how much lower we are on the totem pole here, you know, compared to Almighty God. Uh, that's why it's just so silly that there are people that actually believe in self-godhood and stuff. I mean, when you really start thinking about God, like, in these terms, uh, there, there's human beings, angels, don't even compare. I mean, it's not even on, in the same ballpark. But what, what's what's insane about this is is that the Trinity is necessary for the creation of man, but God was always a trinity before he created man. That's that's the nature of God. So the means, so we could say it like this, the means by which God can interact with us and angels and anything else he created was in place before anything outside of God himself existed, even time itself. Time is a, a thing that God created outside of himself. And even just that, just trying to focus in on the time thing, that will blow your mind. How could there be a time before time? But clearly there was because time was created. But there wasn't time to measure that time before time was created. Uh, so there wasn't time. Yet still time came to be and God created it and God's not bound by it. So he's both in time and outside of time at the same time. That, will, that, that, that alone will drive you nuts. As if... Um, as if all this hasn't already. So, you know, like I said, that can be really confusing. And uh, again, if, if one's not careful, we can, we can, it can lead people to believe really silly things like creation is somehow equal to God or something, but that, that, that can't be so. There is nothing equal to God. Um, because of that one missing element that I just mentioned, time. God is eternal and time is his creation. So this means that God exists both outside and inside of time. Eternity is a state of being outside of time. Uh, the word temporal, that is a state of being within time. So there was a time, for lack of a better word, uh, before time was created. Now, that statement isn't accurate technically, but it does show the limitations of human language, and that's the other aspect of this. We, we don't even have a way to really communicate this stuff with human language because human language is limited. Um, now, naturally, anything God creates would have to be less than him. So a creation of God certainly could not be greater because God is the greatest. Nothing could be conceived of that is greater than God, Otherwise, that would be God. That thing would be God. So uh, nothing can exist without being created by God, as we already looked at, uh, we, we, we've talked about. So no, no creation of God can be equal with God because then God would not be uh, one. God would not be God. So everything God created is less or more limited than himself. It, it, just, it is impossible for it to be any other way. That's why we need a filter. That's why we need embodiment. So, so think, think for a moment about the makeup of a human being. You know, a human is body, soul, and spirit. The spirit is the thing that we really are. It's the thing that animates the rest. The spirit is the subjective understanding of one's own self. You know, that, that's, that's your own understanding of your own self, your own personal experience, your own consciousness, I guess you might call it that. But, but that, that's like the spirit. So God modeled us after himself yet limited. So God, too, has a, a physical body in, in Jesus. He has a soul. It's the Heavenly Father on the throne and a spirit or the Holy Spirit, God's own ultimate subjective understanding of himself. That's why the Holy Spirit's so powerful. Uh, and that's the ultimate truth because nothing could be truer than that. Therefore, it's the ultimate objective truth. Um, and all of these are God. This is God. All, all of these, this is God. <laughs> 
Um, all of this is God. There's like, again, human language is limited, so you can't, you can't really, you can only get so far with it. It's not exactly accurate to say that these are pieces of God because they are all fully God, yet it's, it's similar to say like ice, water, and steam are all fully H2O. Yeah, that, that's not really a perfect analogy because there's no there's no such thing as a perfect analogy. They all break down at some point, every single analogy about any single thing. Because there's still different states of existence based on temperature and stuff like that. But because we are lesser, uh, we would never be able to interact with God without the limiting factor of embodiment. And I say limiting based on just our own perspective. Because embodiment doesn't limit God, just like it doesn't enhance him either. Uh, God is already the ultimate and the infinite. There is no taking away or adding to God. But from our own already limited perspective, we can see how we cannot fully appreciate God himself in his entirety with, without us being equal to God, which again is impossible. So this is why Jesus Christ is necessary and why everything points back to him, because without him, in every sense, we could never truly be reconciled to God. That is also why uh, there's a pre-incarnate Jesus that shows up. It's not like, you know, Jesus was born and that was the first that Jesus was ever on the scene. Um, as far as human being, as far as creation ever was, I mean, the, the, the creation happened through Jesus, we're told in scripture. So Jesus was always there. He was always a part of this whole thing. Um, we just didn't know uh, exactly how. And, there, and we still have things to learn about that. Uh, it's not like we have all the answers now. So, um, but without him, in every sense, Jesus we could never be truly reconciled to God. Uh, it's 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 like Jesus is in place of that that dongle that 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 patch between um, you know the cord and the port that that don't fit together. Uh, that that's 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 like Jesus with us and God. Um, or maybe it's more accurate to say with us and the Father because it's it's all God. But now going back to time, we have to understand that uh, we are not who we are right now in this moment of time. That's not who you are. In the same way, we're not only our body, soul, or spirit. You are not only who you are right now. To be truly who we are, to be truly who we're meant to be the way that God intends it, we have to be all three, you know, body, soul, and spirit. But again, not merely all three in one moment of time. We are not who we are today, but we are the totality of who we are in every moment of time, including eternity, if we give our lives to Jesus. And that, that's actually why our, our, our person, like who we are, is, is defined through Jesus because of the eternity thing. When we get our, give our lives to Jesus, we, we, are, we are taken, we are uh, seated with him in eternity. And we're understood. You know, one way of saying this is when God looks at you, he sees Jesus or he sees you through Jesus. Uh, but, but that's because of the whole, the whole time thing and eternity thing. And because that we, we are who we are at, at all periods of time of our existence. So all of that sin, the sin part, the bad part, um, is cleansed through Jesus. So even those sinful parts, it, it's, it, those sinful parts are now defined through the blood of Christ, through the cleansing blood of Christ. Meaning that when God looks at you, it's basically he's seeing you through the blood of Christ. He's, see, he's seeing Jesus. It, it, not, not, he's, he's, he's seeing who you were always meant to be, um, a, a righteous, perfect creation. 
uh, without sin because Jesus cleansed all those sins. So you are not who you are today right now at this moment. You are uh, who you were from the moment of your creation all the way through eternity if you've given your life to Christ. And if you have given your life to Christ, then Christ, the blood of Christ cleanses all of that. And you are a new creation. If you haven't given your life to Christ, then you are, in a sense, a walking corpse. You're dead in your sins, meaning that you are who you have, who you always were from the moment of your creation till your uh, physical death, all that sin, um, and you still are who you are when you enter eternity with all that sinful baggage. And because of that, that's all applied to you. That cannot be, um, that, that, that is not compatible with God. You don't have the Jesus dongle that you need to, 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 to make the external hard drive fit with the computer. You don't have that. So there's no way that they can fit. Doesn't work. Uh, and so what happens when you, you have an external hard drive that doesn't match the computer? You either get the dongle, but okay, by that point it's too late. There is no dongle anymore. Uh, for you, so you get a, you just get rid of the hard drive, you, you know, um, and so that, that there's there's no place there's no place in heaven for somebody like that. There there just isn't a place, and um, so that that's how time can can kind of factor in here and, and help us make sense of uh, of all of this. This is also why it's important to really be careful which philosopher you listen to because. Philosophers can say stuff like this and they can make it sound really smart, but when you actually look at the substance, it, it's really dumb. Uh, not what I'm, I don't think what I'm saying is dumb, but, but I'm saying like philosophers just in general, like especially materialists. So you gotta be careful who you listen to. But, um, so we, okay, so the totality of who we are, it's body, soul, and spirit in and out of all moments in time, in and out of all moments of time. So even in eternity. So within the totality of time, we only exist physically in part of it. However, in eternity, outside of time, we just are. That's your true self because that's the part of you that's been reconciled to God. And that, that is the part of you that's aligned with Jesus who has cleansed all, over mo all other moments of time throughout your existence. So who you really are, uh, if you've accepted Jesus, is in eternity with Jesus. That is who you really are and you just are. You know, there, there is no, if you're in eternity with Jesus, then, then, then you just, you, you know, in some level you just are. Now, the amazing thing is the Trinitarian attribute of God preexisted human beings. Yet if God was only spirit, we would have no way to tangibly interact with him. We wouldn't get it, you know, meaning, meaning his, di and what that would mean is his desire to create human beings and angels would not be would not truly be fulfilled, which means he wouldn't be all-powerful and the whole concept breaks apart. This is why you need a trinity. Uh, this, is, this is why Unitarians are completely off, off the mark here. Um, however, if, if God was already a trinity before he created man, the aspects and attributes of his very nature always included the creation of mankind. So it means that creating man wasn't merely a desire for God in the way that we would think of it. You know, a desire of God's is, is actually like a necessity because how could an all-powerful God have a desire that does not end up getting fulfilled? You know, think, think about that. That would mean that there, there is something that he wants and doesn't get. Now, sometimes God's want can get re replaced or superseded by a greater want. God wants 
all men to be saved, but what he wants even more than that is for people to have free will, and he wants justice, and he wants fairness, and, you know, he wants all that. And it would be worse if he created automatons that had no free will whatsoever. So that kind of thing happens, but you can't just have a singular want of God that just doesn't get, that doesn't get met or doesn't get fulfilled in some way. So a desire of God's is actually a necessity because again, how could an all-powerful God have a desire that's on its own, not, not superseded by some other greater desire, but that's on its own that does not end up getting fulfilled? So because he desired to create mankind, mankind was a necessity by the very nature of God. All of creation was. It, by, by the very nature of God, that was a necessity. But he's still all-powerful, and if he didn't want to do it, he didn't have to do it. You know, nothing made him do it. it it's, it's, it it's his nature. It's his wants. It, it's, it's like his, his wants. So, and um, nothing made him do it because then you would have to have something greater than God driving him. Uh, and he's the one that's in control. So his choice to create you, me, all of creation, his choice is a necessity by his own very nature for that to be fulfilled. And because of that, you need the Trinity because if God was just father and that's all it was, there's, there's no way to, uh, there, there's no dongle. There's no way for man to really fully fellowship with God and no way for God to fully really fellowship with, with man. They're, they're incompatible. You need the Trinity. You, you need, uh, you, you need body, soul, and spirit, all three things. You need father, son, and Holy spirit. <clears throat> okay. So I know, <laughs> um, now I bring that up because uh, again, human words can't really possibly truly explain what God's love for us really means because it goes beyond love, at least the way that we understand it. We can't really grasp how important we are to God. We also can't grasp how important things like free will and justice and perfection and other things like that are to God. We can't, we can't really grasp how much of a waste it is to ignore these things throughout life and just reject God entirely. You know, we, we are not God, therefore we can't ever truly ever fully understand God the way that he understands himself. We can know him, of course. You can know your wife, you know, we can know him. But we don't, if, if, if we don't waste the gift that he's given us in Jesus Christ, we can know, that's the only way we can know him, is, is through Jesus. We, we can interact with him, but it's necessary for there again to be a type of means that we perceive him through, and that means embodiment. This is why a physical body, a spiritual body, and a physical resurrection of the body, which becomes a glorified body, is needed. Without it, we have no way of perceiving God. We, we, we have no way of perceiving eternity. Uh, we, we, can you understand uh, a state outside of time right now? That's why it has to be a glorified body, because our bodies right now, we can't understand that. Um, and without that, we have no way of, of perceiving God. We would be disembodied spirits with no possible means through which to interact with God. In other words, we would be completely separated from God in every way imaginable. That's where it starts to get scary because that's what happens when somebody doesn't accept Christ. Um, so we would be disembodied spirits with no possible means with which to interact with God. We would be completely separated from God in every way imaginable, without right standing with God, 
in a sense, we would just be consciousness without any kind of housing, be blind and deaf, completely separated from the only thing that makes us whole. We, we, we are the absolute personification of incomplete in that state. We would only know, we would, we would know nothing else but, but pain in every sense because no good can come without God. We would be an utter lack of relief. In a sense, we would be worse than nothing. So to try to understand this, and I know it's it's difficult, uh, we can we can we can think about an analogy of what what a square a square is to a cube. So imagine the square, like a two-dimensional square is a physical body, and the cube is the soul. And the spirit is the mind, you know, and again, this is just an analogy, so it's not going to be perfect. But e even in this dimensionally reduced example, it's impossible to really understand the spirit mind thing without a body for it to be housed in. What would it be? Well, it has to be somewhere. It's like, it's like how, how can you exist without being in a location, right? Um, now, even in our wildest imaginations, we might think of the mind spirit as like a type of mist that hovers about, but, but even that would be woefully incorrect. You know, what's the mist made out of? Doesn't the mist just act as a type of body for the mind or the spirit, for the consciousness? You know, we, we, could, we, we, we can never truly understand the spirit without embodiment because to do so would be to truly understand God uh, in every way in his subjective understanding of himself, meaning that we would need to be equal in power to God. And again, the whole concept of God just breaks down at that point. So it's impossible. It's, it's actually just absolutely essentially necessary for existence to have some kind of embodiment. Um, otherwise, at that point, God God doesn't exist. You know, if, if, if you're going to get to that point, if, if you get to the point of, you know, if... If you can exist without some type of embodiment, then at that point, I, when you really follow the logic, I don't see how God could exist. The fact that we are embodied is actually proof that God exists. Um, but again, we're not really getting into apologetics here, so that's separate. But physical and spiritual reality, they're environments that require bodies to operate in. But like the mind of the square needs a body that's appropriate for the environment, whether it's two-dimensional or three-dimensional. So if he's physically alive in the second dimension, if he's a physical square, he needs a square body. Now, if his square body dies, meaning if his mind is not embodied uh, in a limited second dimension anymore, then he needs a three-dimensional body, which is the cube. Now, let's say in this analogy, let's say that I am the creator and the three dimensions are all there is. There is no higher dimension to ascend to. One can either have access to a three-dimensional body that I can make for him or one uh, can reject me completely with his own free will, meaning he will not have access to a body. So if he rejects me and loses his chance at another body, what would, you know, th th this would be like a second death which sounds very familiar to what's described in the book of Revelation concerning those who reject Christ. So if a square, two-dimensional square, out of his own free will, accepts me while he's physically alive, I, also valuing free will, would, would then be permitted to offer him a new body. But, but, but wait, he already has access to a cube, soul, three-dimensional body. So what's the point of resurrecting and glorifying his two-dimensional square body? Right? This, is, this goes back to what we were saying earlier. Their souls in heaven now. You know, why do they need a a a, a body to exist in, in in three dimensions? 
Why does the cube need a square body to, to be resurrected and glorified? It's because a cube is not really complete without a square, without access to a square. How do you make a cube without squares? You look at a cube, there's squares on all sides of the thing, right? A cube is not really complete without access to a square. A cube, again, being a series of squares, like stacked on top of one another, a, a, a cube cannot really be complete without a square of any kind. It's impossible to have a cube without a square. Totally impossible. Yet, what would be the point of giving him a square that will just die again? So he needs the square, but what would be the point of giving him a fallible square that's just going to die again? You know, he'll die again. Um, so there, he, he must have a square that is not subject to death, meaning that it needs to be able to exist in eternity. Now, you can have a square in three-dimensional, even though a square is a two-dimensional shape, you can, it, it can exist in three dimensions without any problem. Um, you, you know, just look at a cube and you see a square right on the face of it. So a, a square can exist just fine in three-dimensional reality. Um, just like a glorified body that isn't subject to death anymore can exist in eternity just fine. So in our in our in our cube square analogy his previous square physical body was confined to the second dimension because it was subject to death so that that death like locked that that square like okay when you put when you put a, a cube on the table that square on the bottom there um that's locked into the second dimension and it, it's held by gravity but like death is like our gravity death is like what locks our our three-dimensional body of death, you know, of, of physical stuff that's, that's going to decay. Um, death is what, what locks our body here because it's, it's subject to death. Um, yet if you pick up the cube, well, you have all, and you're, you're holding it, you, you know, you have all, all six squares. You, you, you have squares that are not subject to that locking in because you picked it up. So gravity isn't isn't a problem anymore, right? You know the, the the square being set on the table, um, the cube being set on the table on one of its squares. That's not an issue anymore. That's not a problem because they're not subject to death anymore. So his previous square was confined to the second dimension because it was subject to death, and like the Bible states, flesh and blood, or in other words, the physical body, is subject to death, and it cannot inherit the kingdom of God. And that's why. Otherwise, he would just have a body that's once again locked into the second dimension uh, without access to the third. So that's like saying, you know, you, you that that bottom square that that's locked into the second dimension, um, that thing being two dimensional cannot exist in the third dimension because when you pick it up, it's it, the whole thing. It's a three dimensional. It's 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 a a small part of a larger construct, but it exists in the third dimension. Now, because of this, he needs a new incorruptible square body that's not locked into the second dimension, but that has access to the second dimension and can move freely in and out of it. Now, again, you might, you might ask, like applying to this to humans, why do we need a body that can interact with the physical world at all? I mean, once we're dead, isn't getting to heaven enough? The answer is it's, it's a matter of being whole and restored. You can't be fully restored if you don't have access to a place you once had access to. So that's why the souls in heaven, that's not good enough. It's great, but it's not whole. It's not, it's not restored. It's not full. 
You know, again, a cube can cannot truly be a cube without the existence of a square. You could shave one of the squares off of it, but but then it's a little incomplete. The, you know, the, the squares aren't all exactly the same size anymore. You know, the ones on the side will be a little bit a little bit less than the ones on the top and bottom. So it's not full. It's not restored. Um, so you can't you can't fully be restored if you don't have access to a place you once had access to. And, and again, the, a cube cannot truly be a cube without the existence of a square. Uh, without square without a square. Cubes are impossible, and that's why the body of the resurrected and glorified Christ was able to move freely about in our three dimensions of space. But he was also able to move about freely in higher dimensions. That's how he was able to ascend to the clouds and uh, how he got into a closed and locked room. Um, so going back to the example of the square having, um, you know, uh, you know, a, a soul and 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 all this think about think about near-death experiences and think about you know what if the, what if the square had a near-death experience and realized he's actually a cube um i think that's us i i think i think we are cubes who think that we're squares and during that ta- during that time people in, in will see an extra-dimensional reality but in in the two-dimensional perspective it, it's kind of lost and it's impossible to really fully explain um, it would be like if a square had an NDE, saw that he was a cube, and then came back into his square form. How does he explain that now to the other square? Language wouldn't be able to really, comp- really, really do it justice. Um, so during that time that he's seeing three-dimensional reality, his two-dimensional perspective, uh, he doesn't have access to to the two dimensional way of seeing the world anymore. He sees it from above, just like you know we we don't see the world in in two dimensions because we're three dimensional beings. Otherwise, we would just see a line, like you know. So we would, in a sense, it's not that we're losing access to it. It's just that it becomes more complete. Um, because actually, what we see is a series of of two dimensional realities stacked up on top of each other, and we see that when we look at it, but. So the, the the cube doesn't have the the same the the limited view of the two dimensional square anymore. If he wanted complete perspective, he would need access to both his cube perspective and the square perspective. He he would need a body that could do both, not just be limited to the third dimension, but something that can interact in the second dimension as well. He would need a square that's not subject to death and that can move about freely um, in the two in the second dimension. So that very well might be why a resurrection is required in order for things to truly be restored. So without without a glorified and resurrected body, Jesus may never uh, may, may not have had the same type of uh, three-dimensional perspective, meaning meaning he, he may not have been able to interact or communicate with the physical world at all. Um, again, uh, consider people who have experienced, an extra-dimensional near-death experience. They are unable to communicate with anyone who's in the physical world, right? Even more, their perspective has become extra-dimensional. This is why we don't see, you know, like people who have died and gone on, and, you know, we don't see them around all the time. It's because of this. Their normal three-dimensional perspective is, like, lost. And to truly be restored, glorified, and have access to all that God has created, we, we, we need not only an extra-dimensional soul, 
but we need a physical resurrection of the body. And this new body is not, it's got to be glorified because it's not subject to death, deterioration, or decay. It's immortal. That's why we need that. That's why there are souls in heaven that don't interact with the earth in the way that physical bodies do. That's why we need not only a resurrection, but we need a resurrection of a glorified body. Uh, and th this is how all of God's plans come to fulfillment through his creation, through us. Uh, and this is how we are seated with Christ in the heavenlies. So I've probably blown your mind. And if you're anything like me, you need a nap. So <laughs> um, I got a little bit more to talk about. I, I want to talk about when we receive these bodies. Um, well, let me see. Let me look at my notes here. Uh, we'll probably get into that and then some ancient spirit double stuff. Uh, but we're going to do that in members only. So if you haven't had a chance to yet, head on over to dailyrenegade.com. we got a lot more to talk about. Head on over there. Get a membership. And uh, we're going to talk about some more uh, cool things. Probably not quite as mind-bending as that, but still uh, very interesting and um, something that I, I think you'll get a lot out of. DailyRenegade.com, get a membership, $10 a month or $100 a year, and you can have access to not only the, the rest of this video, but everything we do. We have several shows. We're adding more. We've got a lot of cool stuff coming up, and so you can do that. Uh, also, because people have asked, if you want to help my son Nathan, um, he is uh, battling cancer. He's in remission now, uh, and that's great. We praise God for that. But he also has a whole host of mental health issues that we're dealing with and working through and we're still discovering things about. It, it is, uh, it's, it's been kind of a nightmare. And, and because of that, we're, we're trying to figure out what meds are going to work with him, but we're really limited because, for example, the, the doctor said that he would need one medicine that's $500 a month. We, we cannot afford that. Um, we, we are nowhere close to that. Uh, so they're, they're looking into other alternatives, see what we can do. Um, but people have been asking, how can they help Nathan? Uh, go to paypal.me slash Josh Peck Disclosure. That is the best place uh, to go to donate right now. All of that goes to Nathan. If you want to send a check or money order, it's P.O. Box 396, Crane, Missouri, 65633. Uh, you can send that. Um, and then at some point, at some point when Christina and I are ready to give a full announcement on, on Nathan's issues, we'll set up a new GoFundMe for his mental health. Uh, we've been having some issues with GoFundMe. They they made our account and a lot of other people's account, just random people, just totally inactive. And I haven't been able to get in touch with them. So um, the GoFundMe accounts that we had are, aren't, they're there, but you can't like donate for some reason. So for right now, paypal.me slash Josh Peck Disclosure is the best place to go. I also have a cash app. It's the dollar sign Josh Scott Peck. Uh, so I have that. Um, but again, the, the PayPal thing is the best way to go, or if you want to send a check or money order, if you don't want to deal with PayPal, totally understandable. Um, but if you want something for yourself as well, the, be the best thing you can do is just, you know, go get a membership and that way, uh, we can continue to serve you. I'm not in this for you to serve me. I want to serve you. I want to do that by teaching you uh, about the Bible and, uh, the gospel and spreading that throughout the world. So that is how you can help. Uh, that would be a great help. We would really appreciate it. And if you can't afford it, uh, just just pray. Pray for Nathan. If you can't donate anything, that's totally fine. Um, I'm never going to be the kind of person that's going to promise you extra blessings from God or anything like that. We're not in the business of speaking for God like that. So um, that's between you and God. But you can pray. You know, Just take a couple seconds and pray. All right. Uh, thank you all so much. Members, hang on the line. Everybody else, take care. God bless. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.